Holly is one of our longest-serving missionaries, and I think we ought to give her a hand for the ways that she has served Jesus faithfully. Yay. Holly, yeah, come on, let's honor. Bring her some honor. Woo! Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah! Soak it in, girl. Soak it in. So we've been her supporting sending family for how many years? Since June of 2005. 2005, guys. Started out in Uganda, and then the Lord called her to the beautiful southern coast of Ireland, which I've had the joy of being there with her on the ground. And um, she's getting ready to go back and kind of launch a, a new season. So Holly, tell us a little what God's doing. Well, it's so nice to see you guys. <laughs> you guys have seen me for a while because um, I came in November of 19, 2019 for a 10 to 12-month sabbatical, and then the world changed. <laughs> so I've been here, and it's been a blessing, actually. It's been completely unsettled and completely chaotic, but God has done wonderful things. Uh, when I first arrived, I asked God, what do you want to do on this sabbatical? And he gave me the scripture from Isaiah 43. See, I am doing a new thing. The part after that is the part that got me. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Let me tell you, I did not perceive it. I did not perceive it for most of two years as I was stuck here. <laughs> but uh, then God began to speak and um, showed me all about the change he was doing. As Roger said, I've been serving as a full-time missionary in the field since 2005. I was three years in Uganda, and I have since been 14 years in Ireland in a small town in the southern coast of the Republic, and I have loved it dearly. I leave on Tuesday to finally go back and see my people. I have been longing for this moment. You know, every time I come home, it's a bit of culture shock uh, because, you know, I've changed, and I come back to a nation that's changed. And it's, it's always changing. And, of course, these two years, we all have experienced incredible change. And it can seem chaotic and unsettled. But the amazing thing about change is we serve a God who is the king of it. He is unchanging, and yet he's the king of transformation as he transforms our hearts, as he renews us, and as he leads us into new things. And so I go back knowing that even Ireland has changed dramatically. They suffered one of the long, they actually suffered the longest lockdown in the world. Some of the strictest restrictions in the world. And now uh, they, even as we speak actually, our sister church in Dublin is um, having about 200 to 300 Ukrainians on their doorstep. Um, because of the, the situation that's going on there and the refugees that are coming into Ireland. So there's a massive amount of change. So now even as I prepare to go back, I'm realizing as God has changed me and done different things in me, I'm going back as a changed person again into a changed nation. And the message that God has for me as I'm going forward comes from Romans 12, verse 12. It's a simple scripture, but it encompasses so much. It's when he's talking about how we live by the Spirit. And he says, first, rejoice in hope. 
And then he says, persevere. (laughs) Persevere in suffering. And pray in faithfulness. And those three things, and I think the beautiful thing about it is, is it starts with the hope, right? That's the gospel. The hope that is an anchor for our soul is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we know that, can we not persevere? Can we not remain faithful in our prayers? Can we not go through all of that change, regardless of what the world will throw throw at us? Because God is also changing us from glory to glory to glory. And if we go back to the original scripture that he gave me when I first arrived, that he said was for me in this season, why is he doing a new thing? Why is it springing up? It says because he's making streams, because he's providing water in the wilderness. And it says he's doing that uh, down in a, verse 21, so that, or verse 20, to give drink to my people, my chosen the people I have formed for myself, that they may proclaim the praise. So he's doing these new things to feed us so we can give that hope to others. Now, a big change that's happening for me is um, he's actually shifting me. I've been doing, uh, I've been in a very small town, a very rural town, doing kind of like pastoral care type things for years and years and years. And God has been calling me to step out of the shadows of being in that kind of second position and to use more of my teaching gifts. But that requires a big change for me. So I'll actually be going to kind of finish my permanent settlement that's been there and move to a temporary, and I'll be resettling here. And that's going to be a big change for me, guys. I haven't lived in, really lived in America in 17 years. When I come back in June... It'll be, if not the same, it's definitely the same month. It might even be the same week that I left 17 years ago. And um, I'm going to need help, honestly. But I, God has always been faithful. I can trust that he will be. But in doing that, what I'll be doing is I'll be resettling here so that I can continue to press forward. And I'll be able to go back and forth to press on because I now have a message to teach and to take with me where I'll be going back to my churches and my people over there on a regular basis and stepping up further into my gifting and sharing more of the gospel to a country that really needs it. You guys, I've told you for how many years, Ireland is a nation that we, we take for granted because of its history, but a lot of its faith is in its history. In my time there, the, the, the number of Bible-believing Christians has actually doubled. Praise the Lord. From 2% to 4%. This is a nation that needs the gospel. Praise the Lord. You know how the gospel's coming in? By immigrants. Bless the Ukrainian refugees who we can share faith with and some of whom will be sharing faith with us. Isn't it amazing how God works? God doesn't really care about the boundaries as much as we do. He cares about the people and he cares about their hearts and he wants to bring them all into his kingdom. And don't we all want to be a part of that together? You guys have been a part of my journey for 17 years. I am so grateful. But let's press on and go further, shall we?
Amen. Hey, would you guys stretch your hands out and let's just pray for Holly as she goes. Lord, we thank you for this faithful woman. We thank you for her tenacity, the way that she holds on to you, the way that she loves people. And as she goes to Ireland this time, we pray for discernment, Lord. We pray for wisdom to know which doors to walk through. We thank you, Lord, for reestablishing her here as her base. And Holly, we say we receive you and we receive all your graces and gifts. And as a community who believes in the Great Commission that we're to go into all nations, we send you, we support you, we bless you, and we say thank God for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, girl. All right. So, you know, I have a feeling she'll be, you know, taking folks with her now. She can do that eventually. But if you want to support her, if you want to pray for her, get on her prayer list or whatever, see her um, after church today. Awesome. Pastor Guy, let's give it up. Thank you, Roger. You know, something that was hit me during worship music was that the Lord did want to get us, give us hope. It's really, really cool. Um, the scripture that Holly was using uh, next week, um, Adam Cox uh, from Nava Church be down. He'll be speaking on Sunday, but he's speaking from the very same scripture that the Lord gave you, Holly, on uh, patient endurance. Uh, the Lord wants to work out this hope in us, but hope only gets really real when it goes down to those dark cores of fear and yucky. So, so that's why when, when things are so bananas in the world like they are now, it's a time for great hope. Why? Because God can get some of our fears can be un, un, uh, un they're not hidden anymore. <laughs> they get poked and they show up. And so we let Jesus deal with those. We can actually start to have some real hope. You ever had a chance times, maybe even worship music, when you're trying to be hopeful, but you it's kind of like you're pa- paper macheing over like something kind of, you know, yucky underneath. You kind of know it, and you're, you kind of know that you're not really being honest. That, that's not Jesus' hope. Je- Jesus really gives us for real hope. And it's by going down to those spaces where we're really scared. Let Him join those. Uh, and, and then bring us up into, wait, no, I can't expect good for the future. Because Jesus is who He said He is. Because he made the world. Because I found the one person who knows what they're talking about. And so we can live in true hope. So Lord, we ask for that for ourselves even right now. That Lord, as we wrap this series up, you'd help us to put into action whatever it is that you're trying to do in us, Jesus. Knowing that you're the initiator you started our relationship with you. We're not the ones maintaining it. In fact, we only are here. We only exist because of your initiative. And so, Lord, we can rest knowing that you're working in our lives. You're already out ahead of us. You know exactly the good plans you have for us. So, will you help us to rest into that? And allow you to change us 
wherever you want to, so we can live in the way of Jesus that was what we were born for. What we were made for. To live in ongoing, moment-by-moment trust in you. We say yes, Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, I'm, I'm wrapping up a series we've been doing for, I think, about seven or eight weeks. So if this is your first time at Believer's Church, I'm so sorry. It's like catching the last episode of a TV series, you know. It's like, yeah. So hopefully this will make some sense to you. Uh, I tend to try to summarize it on the front end. So, But if you want to know more about it, we've got everything online. And you can look back on the sequence of teaching that, that really has been unpacking this question. How do I know what's true? The reason we're asking this question is the first thing is that truth can be hard to find. We, we cited a bunch of stats. You know, there's like so many fascinating things going on in the world these days. Like I, I mentioned, you know, that the, in 2019, the top 15 Facebook pages that were Christian Facebook pages turned out to all be run by troll farms in Eastern Europe. All 15. Uh, MIT Technology Review found that out from Facebook stuff. Uh, you know, even right now, it's fascinating. I, I think I mentioned this last week. One of the ways that Russia has been trying to uh, attack the Ukraine is through Instagram posts. True story that they're, 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 they're taking pictures of an explosion and then putting a post and saying it's happening in a different city than the explosion happened happened just so everyone there is scared. It's like, just the, the world is, is tricky right now. It's hard to know what's true. But we have to know it's true because truth it determines how we live. What you think is actually true is what you make your decisions on all the time. Every single moment. Can I rely on this chair? I shall sit on it because I believe it's true. It's that simple. So... We've been saying this, that Jesus, according to scriptures and according to church witness, we actually believe that Jesus himself is the truth. The truth is not simply an idea, but as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So that there's this multidimensional uh, aspect to truth. And so that truth isn't simply an idea, but it's knowing a person. So the question becomes, how do I know this person, Jesus? And it's so critical. We have to know who Jesus is. Learn to know His ways. Learn to live out His ways. I was thinking we were praying for you guys this morning that evangelism is not simply knowing how to say the good news of Jesus. It's living a life that, that people can smell the hope in you. That you've, you've dealt with your stuff. And you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived and he has transformed my life and I'm living it out. I'm not perfect. In fact, I find that one of the most credible things for being a Christian is to fail and get up again. And you just fail again and get up again. Now, I don't know about you. I fail forward. That's pretty much my whole journey. You just, we, we call it, it's our leadership style. It's called stumble and pray, pray and stumble. But we have to know that Jesus this is not as a person, not this idea, not this club, not this, this tribe. 
but to know this person, Jesus, because what happens, it gives birth to a people that demonstrates something by the way they live on the earth and gives a freaked out, messed up world hope. I'm grateful that Paul said this to the Colossians. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I'm comforted because we're not dealing with a new problem. This is nothing new. We're always tending to think this is the worst time in history. It's not. There's crazy stuff going on, but there's been really bad things that have gone on in the past too. God's not like, I didn't see this coming. I did not plan for this. I'm so stressed, Gabriel. What are we going to do? So how do I know Jesus? We talked about four ways that are based, based on what we see in the scriptures. And really, you might remember at the very beginning of this series, we used this, this passage as kind of an anchor of, of these are the apostles talking about how they knew the truth, how they knew this person, Jesus. And so John says it this way. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also, you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If we look in this passage, we wanted to see four different ways these guys knew Jesus is what we call reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. We've taken several weeks to talk about each of these. And then they form this lovely acronym, REST. Don't you just love that word? There's something about it. So, so the, th- the takeaway from this whole series is, in short, is how do I know Jesus? Okay, how do I know Jesus? Okay, so there's a lot packed into that. Um, it, it's, so we talked about Scripture as, as the most important way that we know this Jesus. Why? Because the most important way to know a person is through their words. That, that nonverbals can get you some other way, but if you only have nonverbals, it doesn't work out that well. I told you the story about my brother trying to court his would-be girlfriend by breaking a stick over his head. That was how he introduced himself. True story. Now, they did end up married, so maybe he knew something about her that, that nobody else did. But, but Scripture is the most important way that we can know Jesus because it's His words, they're fixed, they're objective, they're inspired. We talked about tradition. What's tradition? What do we mean by that? I heard other people and sibilants. Other people? Yeah, other people for the last 2,000 years. So, so, one of the most important ways is knowing Jesus through other people's engagement with Jesus. And not just the people around us now, but for the last 2,000 years. I don't remember, you should, I, I went way too far on this. I had this great idea that a timeline that I thought I'd whip together that took me hours to put together. 
I was like, I'm too far in to quit now. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Chris. But it showed, like, to scale. Do you know our experience of Jesus is less than 1% of church history? Like, we're a very, very small part of what's gone on with Jesus on the earth. So wouldn't it make sense that we pay attention to what our brothers and sisters, I don't know, 500 years ago, all this stuff is written down. You can read it. You can go to Kindle and read everything that has been written by the church fathers, over a thousand books for $3 on Kindle. $3. You can have all of it. Everything ever written up to about like uh, 500 or so. So, yeah, just go on Amazon and get it for $3 on Kindle. You can spend the next 15 years reading it. <laughs> it's a thousand books. So, <laughs> experience. We talked about experience being the way that we engage the world, and there's two aspects to it. That there's presence. There's being present to Jesus. Present to a person. We talked about whether it's even possible to really know a person if you've never been in their presence. And, and you can say, well, I kind of can through Zoom, but I'm like, but you, would you get married through Zoom? Just kind of leave it at that? Yeah, it kind of doesn't work at some point. That there's presence that has to happen that we, and that we actually can experience Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit on the earth. And then we have experience through practice. One of the best ways to know what Jesus is actually talking about is to do what he says. There's certain things that won't make any sense until you do them. Anybody know that? And, and there's tons of examples in life that, that you, well, I don't know if that's really what I want. Just try it. Just try it. It's like broccoli, man, you know. It's good for you. And then reason. It's our ability to think to know Jesus. How many of you guys appreciated uh, Ken and Dominic's scientific presentation last week? Yeah. I'm still just moved by Ken's doing this about science. I love that. Isn't that the greatest? Um, that God gave us a brain, and it's so important, this, this mind we have, to be able to reason and think about knowing this Jesus. So all these four together um, turn out to be a way that we can really know Jesus. So the question is, all right, we've talked about that. Great. What do we do now? Jesus said something like this after he taught Sermon on the Plain. He said to the guys listening, he's, man, why do you guys call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? James said it this way. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, man. Now, it seems like, oh, man, that sounds like legalism. It's not legalism when it says, hey, man, get out of the street because you're about to be hit by a car. I feel like you're being very legalistic and controlling right now. Right? It's like, dude, I'm telling you, you're going to be hit by a car. Jesus gives us the way to live because he wants to free us into who he's dreamed us to be. So, so data is fine. Data is fine, but if it, if it isn't something we take action on, it's just more data. It, it's, it's like what happens to your attic. Have you ever gone to your attic and said, why did I keep this? Anybody felt that way? The hoarders among us are like, no. Don't touch it. 
So, this sermon's called Let's Go. Let's go. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through a couple questions, actually four different issues. And uh, the first one I'm going to do on my own, the second one we're going to do together, the other two I'm going to offer to you, and I think they may be familiar to you as we go through them. I'll, I'll wait and see if you recognize them. And so I'm just going to put the question and then actually do going through scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. It may seem complicated. It's actually not. It's actually not that hard. You're actually doing this naturally a lot of the time anyway. Okay? But what this does for us is it kind of makes it clear how you could actually do it on your own with some kind of question you're trying to find the truth on. Sound good? Going to do it anyway. Okay. Do I really need to be in a church community? I gave myself a softball here. Okay? Hopefully. The softball. So I think, all right, do, is it really true that I need to be in a church community? Well, when I was just sick, so I put myself through this. I tried, I'm going to go through this as quick as I can to see how I do. And the first thing that came to my mind was this scripture, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. So where did I come up with that? Well, it's just scriptures I remembered. And so I thought, yeah, that's a good scripture. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That makes sense. So that sounds, yeah, like there's some, some yes to we should be in a church community. Are we good to go? I don't feel good enough. I want, I want, to, hear, I want to hear some more. So I, I, I mean, there's one scripture, but have you ever seen there's sometimes scriptures in a different context seem like they say the opposite thing? <laughs> Brian said, yes, a lot. It's important that we get maybe more than just one verse. Like, I've always thought it'd be funny if someone knew nothing about the Bible and they started in Leviticus. Like, the, have you read the part about what to do with a pussy sore? It's, it's in the Bible. I'm serious. What to do with a pussy sore and if hair comes out of a pussy sore? It's in the Bible. Can't you stand the word of the Lord? Right, but if that's your only context, it might throw you off a tiny, right? This is like a really bad health book. You know, what is this? So, here's what I did. I went to Bible Gateway. If you have the internet, interweb, World Wide Web, you have access to this. BibleGateway.com. And I just typed into there the word church. This simple. And then saw what happened. Oh, man, I got 114 results from uh, just the New Testament. And so I just started to kind of saunter through those and notice things about what, what the scriptures say about church. Let me just say, what I just showed you, by the way, has never happened in history. Like you had to carry, any, any of you old people had that big, thick concordance that was about 85 pounds? You know, you know some of you guys might still use it because you think, oh, this is the true one. I don't know what they're doing on that internet. Uh, I'm so grateful for this. Um, and so some of the things I noticed on this, I, I noticed that Ephesians 3.10 says that God's intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God's showing the universe how smart he is through the church. So that sounds like maybe, maybe I ought to be part of that. Another one I saw, Ephesians 5.25, that it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
that in that wild, he didn't give himself up for me. He gave himself up for her. Oh, if Jesus gave himself up for the church, maybe that's kind of important to him as a thought. No, I saw Colossians 1.18 was that Jesus is the head of the body of the church, that somehow the church is so connected and important to Jesus, he calls it his own body. Like, in other words, the only way to be connected to Jesus is to be connected to Jesus in his body. In fact, if I'm disconnected from his body, I'm disconnected from Jesus. Then I, I saw another one. It's like First Timothy three fifteen, where Paul says he's talking about God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. What would that mean? Well, it means at the very least, if I want to know what's true, I have to be connected to a church community. I don't know. This is the Bible stuff. In Matthew sixteen eighteen, I, I saw. Jesus talking to Peter, he said, Peter, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Got me to thinking that the gates of hell won't overcome the church, but they might overcome little old me. You know what I'm saying? So, so there were 114. I'm not going to go through all these, okay? But this is give an example of things you'll notice. It's a simple, simple way to start to look at the scriptures. I think it's really helpful just to kind of then just, I don't know, just brainstorm real quick. What's another one you remember? What's another one I remember? And do that with some friends. And so, in fact, so that, let's say, that's where putting scriptures are most important thing. But it's so critical we do this with others. We've got to do this with others. Because every time we read anything, we've got our own glasses we're looking at, Right? We've got our own perspective, our own experience. And so one of the first things I do is I'll go to people that I personally know and trust. Here's what I mean by that. I, I, I don't go first, or I don't, maybe I do and without knowing it, but going to a famous teacher first. Here's why. Jesus said it, uh, or no, Paul said it real clearly to Timothy. He said, when you're, when you're teaching... Here's, give them data and then show them your life. Be an example to the flock. Let me just say this. It's impossible to be an example from the flock, to the flock from a stage. The reason I know is because I speak from a stage all the time. You don't know what I'm doing. Now, I have friends who do. They, they, they know what an uh, irritating person I can be how obsessive I can be. But they can also, I have friends over 20-year periods that he's bearing a little bit of fruit that looks sort of like Jesus. He makes a lot of mistakes, but he's bearing fruit. Does that make sense? It's it's, it's super important, guys. I'll say it this way. There's probably people close to you who have more to teach you than me. Because you get to watch their life and, and they hit stuff in their life. You're like, they still follow Jesus. Pay attention to that person. It's a big, big deal. Yes, God gives us some people to lead in the church to kind of stir it along. But that's not where all the action's happening. I can't wait till next Sunday. We're going to do this thing. We're going to encourage some people in the body. And we're going to point out those who've just been carrying this 
for years. That's why we need moms and dads in the faith. We need to get around the people that are still, they're not like old and bitter and angry at the world. That They're following Jesus still today. Does anybody know Sherry Gurney? I know Sherry's just watching. Do you just want to be around Sherry? Because Sherry's been to hell and back and loves Jesus and still in the middle of physical difficulty. It's like, oh, son, what are you doing? She wants to know about me. Talk to me, Sherry. What, Sherry, do you think I should be in church community? You follow me? This is so important for the community. So for me, I've got a few people I really trust that, that I know because I've watched their life over years and thought, you know, I don't even necessarily agree with everything about you or what you say, but I've seen enough fruit to know that you probably have something to say. Okay. That doesn't mean I don't look at other trusted folks. There's teachers that I think are very important. People I, I trust, I, you know, that, that I love Eugene Peterson's writings. I don't agree with everything Eugene said. I don't, think, I don't think there's any other human you'll ever totally agree with. I just don't think it's possible. And if you do, one of you is lying. But Eugene Peterson, C.S. Lewis, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, should read his stuff, Life Together. Should you be in church? Should you be in a church community? Oh, yeah. Here's a dude who is dealing with Nazis and trying to still preach the gospel and just wouldn't give up on the confessing church in Germany in the middle of Hitler's thing. So, yeah, those guys seem to be pointing that direction. The people close to me that I trust, that I've seen their life, the others seem to be pointing that direction. And then church history. Now, I recognize probably only half of you have read a lot of church history and are continuing to read it nightly. So I know I might have way overestimated. Right? I get it. I get it. But believe it or not, we do have access to things that were way before us. Way before us. Like, it's really helpful. And if you want to know some books, I, I was going to put them up, but I thought, I'm not going to be idealistic about this. There's probably two of you who will actually respond to me. But there are things you can read in history that are very, 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 very helpful to know. People have dealt with complicated problems. Over the many years, the last 2,000 years, like I told, remember I mentioned there was a group right after uh, Christian persecution officially stopped in Rome. Or uh, about the year 318, 17, somewhere around there. Um, the huge controversy in the church was, okay, for the guys who denied their faith, should we let them back into the church? Because we didn't, and my mom got killed. And they had to work through that. That's a problem, right? That's tough. And you can read about how they thought through it. Um, one of my favorite quotes on church history, and I just remembered this. It was random, and I went, I went doing some scouting because uh, I do own that $4 resource, and I own some other ones. Um, is this actually what St. Cyprian said? And he did. I love this thing. He said, he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. That's zippy, isn't it? From the year 251. That was a long time ago. But he was dealing with some crazy stuff then. And people are just saying, no, we don't need the church. He's like, yeah, we do. We do. Because it's the very thing. How are you going to know what's true out on there on your own doing your thing, man? Do I agree with that level of intensity? I don't know. Um, but it's pretty cool. All right. So, 
scripture and tradition so far, and I was doing my little things with my friends. I started to yeah, I think church communities, being in one myself, pretty important. How about my experience? We said there's two parts of that, presence and practice. What I mean by presence is, one is, did you know, and I know most of us know this, but Jesus is still speaking by the Holy Spirit today. God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. We can actually hear him saying things. You're like, how does that happen? Most of the time, this is his own whole teaching, but impressions, guidance, things that you almost don't even know is happening sometimes. So what does Jesus talk to me about whether I need to be in church community? Well, I can tell you, I've had dreams about this. I remember I wanted to get out of the charismatic space because it was just too it. And God gave me a pretty dramatic dream that this is where I planted you, son. This is where you're staying. And I was like, and, and that, that's, okay, well, Jesus spoke to me, and it happens to be that it kind of fits with all this scripture and tradition stuff. Another one would be, what have I observed? What have I observed? In my experience, should people be in church communities? And I'd say this. It's almost 100% batting average. When I've seen people peel off of church community, they lose their faith. Almost 100%. So my experience, which you could say, well, that's not my experience. That's why it's lower on the list. Make sense? If we we argue only from our experience, we're not going to get to truth. Because the only way you can do that is if you've had all the experiences that have ever happened. And who's the only one who's done that? God. That's where you go to the scriptures. Make sense? Okay. So, my experience has been it don't go well. And then my practice. How has being connected to church community or not connected? Man, uh, don't you just love Roger Nix? I just love that guy. And if you've been around for the long term, it's just like you fall more in love with him because... You want to talk about actual fruit. Man, who is this guy? But when, back in the days when a few of us were here, when Believer's Church went through some really, really painful crisis in the early 2000s, I just said, I'm done with this. I'm staying home. And what I, my own experience and practice was, um, it was a lot like the frog in the kettle. Have you heard that? Like you don't notice... Becoming more and more cynical. Becoming more and more disconnected. Becoming more and more self-focused. It it was just happening. There's something about being shoulder to shoulder with other people, both in the things that are encouraging and irritating, that get me closer to Jesus. And so my practice has been like, even if I don't like it, I know I need to be engaged with it if I really want to know Jesus. And then finally... Reason, what makes sense, well, we've already been reasoning this whole time, haven't we? It's the very thinking that we're doing about all, all these things. What makes sense to me is, yeah, I, I'm never going to have a full perspective. I'm not going to have your perspective. I, I need your I need some outside input. And the best place I could find it, I think, is being in a regular church community. Where over a long period of time, did I just say that? I did. Over a long period of time, let me say it again. Over a long period of time, I get to see what it's like to live a life with Jesus, with other people I disagree with and am irritated by and fall in love with. Oh man, I'm about to go on a rant, but I'm not going to. 
Just, it's just this. <sighs> the only way to have long-term relationships is to have long-term relationships. Guys, I just can't tell you how serious it is. We have one life. And when you want to do over in 10 years, you're 10 years closer to being dead. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so my point is this. If believers ate the community for you, I bless you. I, I, seriously, if you're hearing Jesus to go somewhere else, I literally will, we will pray over you and send you. But just be somewhere and root yourself. Not because you... I'm just saying it because there's things you will never experience until you're there a long time. There's only, there's only, it's, like, it's like how to have romance at 27 years. My wife and I have romance and it's really fun. But the only way we got there is through 27 years. Like you can't, you know, like they used to have stonewashed jeans to look like they were aged. They're not. They're not aged. So what I'm not saying, if anyone's feeling condemned during it, in Jesus' name, go away. Not condemnation, but I'm just saying, there is no perfect church. They're all screwed up. All the leaders are disappointing. I'm one of them. They're all disappointing. We're here to follow Jesus. The leaders are here just, we're supposed to equip you a little bit and then you move past me like a swim move and just say, Jesus. Make sense? Like, I would like it if you could come and disagree with me but you've done your homework. That's why I'm teaching. Okay. I'm teaching you for good disagreement. Okay. And you always got to ask the question why. So here's what we're going to do for just a few minutes. We're going to do this question. How should I think about and use money? We're going to solve that in about five minutes. So let's try this together. Let's start shout, shouting out some scriptures. You didn't know this was going to be a test. Let's shout out some scriptures. You know that have to... Oh, I saw Scott Long. He's like, the Holy Spirit's falling on him right now. And I see the spirit of... Uh, what's it? D- Dave Ramsey's coming, coming all right here. Yeah, give me some scriptures about, about money. Matthew 6. What's in Matthew 6? Okay, so seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. What's another one? Oh, you can't serve God and mammon or money. Okay, can't serve them both. Okay, I heard somebody over here. Give and it will be given. Okay, good. Okay, cast your bread on the water or come back. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now I'm going to give a hard time to you guys. Give me addresses. Okay, 1 Timothy. Bruce. Bruce, the accountant, says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil from 1 Timothy 6. Anybody else? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Radical generosity, Charles Steele, on it. Parable of the talents. Thank you. Says. 
Proverbs 6 apparently says, don't co-sign on a loan. <laughs> I'm feeling the need to move forward real quickly. <laughs> it's going to get interesting really fast. It felt very personal. <laughs> Crystal, that was awesome. So here's the deal. So this, notice what just happened. That was not that hard, was it? We're starting to just kind of popcorn stuff that you've got resource right here about, about scriptures and money. That's a really good start. Now, you could go to Bible Gateway or one of these. And here's some things. Just put in money, riches or wealth, and just sit on it for a little bit. Just, you know, you don't have to have it perfect, but just to kind of soak yourself in what do the scriptures actually say about this kind of thing. Now, here's some other things. Who, think about for a minute right now who you would talk to about this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to shout it out because that might get awkward. But, but I'll just tell you, I mean, for me, I, I'll, I'll just say my brother-in-law. The guy loves Jesus and handles money way better than me. He like does well and he cuts coupons. I don't understand it. My wife says he does well because he cuts coupons, Kyle. <laughs> but I legitimately, I watched the fruit of his life. He loves Jesus. There's, he's bearing fruit, man. And yeah, there's all kinds of advice out there, but I want to know, what do you do, man? I would talk to Scott Long, honestly. Scott Long bears fruit. He's got a household that loves Jesus. This guy really lived an example that it's like, okay, I probably won't turn out like you, but maybe I'll get close to something if I talk to him. So just think for a second. Who, who would you ask? Who would you ask in your world? If you don't have somebody, that's okay. Jeff Bezos. Okay. Uh, he's in your world. Let's get together. I got some questions. That's awesome. So, in other words, other trusted folks, whether that's Dave Ramsey or whatever. See, the thing is, with like a Dave Ramsey or whoever the other trusted folks are, I know I've always got scripture to throw them up against. And I know that I'm probably never going to find another human that's doing it all perfect. You know what I'm saying? So you might go, man, 70% of this is really good, but 30. 70 is a high percentage, man. Take that 70 and run. That's, that's some good stuff. Um, church history. I looked up this. I, I knew I remembered a quote from church history. This is a cool thing. There's a guy named Justin the Apostate, which, that's too bad. <laughs> Justin the Apostate. It's like those British kings, you know, Edward the Sleepy, or, you know, Johnny the Lethargic. You know, it's just, that's the, all of history. Um, but this guy, Justin the Apostate, he took over Rome in 361. He was irritated that the Christians of Christianity had gotten so big, he wanted to bring back paganism. But his biggest complaint was, we can't get paganism as well, because we, they were going to use philanthropy to win over the Romans. But those dumb Christians are so generous, they're almost no poor around them. That's in the year 361. He's irritated that these stupid Christians, he called them atheists. It's because they didn't believe in all the other gods. They don't believe in one. And it's a guy named Jesus. He can't be a god. They're atheists. But their generosity was so well known 
that they couldn't win over the masses through philanthropy. That's cool, isn't it? Could that be said of us? Could it be? It's a hopeful vision. Okay, experience. What, <laughs> what has Jesus said to me personally? What has Jesus said to you? You don't, you don't have to say it out loud, but what has Jesus said to you personally about money? Did you know Jesus talked about money more than almost any other subject? Jesus isn't just interested in your devotional life. In fact, your devotional life is how you handle your money. Jesus speaks to us about money. He really does. It's super important. I've noticed this. It's easier to talk about sex from a stage than money. Because we're so, there's so much shame Fear. Oh, Jesus wants to talk to us about this. And if you're feeling that, man, this exercise is for you, friend. It wants to get you free. Jesus is the truth. The truth will set you free. What has Jesus said to me? Others, what have I observed? Have, have you ever had that person you're like, they can't be earning that much more than me, and why does my life look like this and theirs looks like that? Anybody had that thought? Or am I the only one person like this? What? Credit card debt. Oh, debt. Sarah said, I know, it's credit card debt. <laughs> could be. Very well, could be. Have you ever thought that? And then, you know, see later, oh, yeah, things that weren't so awesome after all. I see. Huh? We're the only two thinking that. Kelly and I realize we're the only two vain people. Like, no, I have no problem with other people's success. You're the one. Okay. Hallelujah! So I'm here just to equip, not to impress. Practice. How's it work for me? Anybody got into the habit of generosity? It's a buzz, isn't it? Generosity is a buzz. One time when Kelly and I were making, we were making $900 a month. And I felt prideful. I mean, since we were in seminary, I was, I was genuinely thinking, Lord... Now, if you're 17, that's okay. If you're married in your 20s, not as good. And one time we had, a, we had friends out of the blue sent us a $500 check. And we were, we were struggling at the time. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know what's happened since then? Anytime we've had extra money and we saw somebody struggling, we want to give it. Why? Because it's a buzz, man. I love it. To do the same that was done for us that meant immense amount for us. It's a big, big deal. My experience is, man, this is the Jesus stuff on using money for generosity, like the, the church history stuff. It's super fun. And it keeps on coming when I give it away. Reason what makes sense. This is so important. Scott, is it true that we sometimes have magical thinking about money? Yeah, okay, yeah, you're being too nice. Yeah, one plus one still adds up to two. It's just always going to happen. So it's reasoning about this stuff is very important. Why? Well, because we want to do the scripture stuff. Okay, you got enough idea. This. Two more questions. We're not going to go through these at all. Yeah. I just, who said that? My wife just said, two more questions? What is happening? 
We're not going to go through them. How should I think about American politics? People are leaving even as we speak. Chris, we love you, baby. Love you, Chris. Didn't mean to embarrass you. But what you can do, here's some keyword searches. Kingdom, rule, power. You could ask people you know and trust, other trusted folks. Look at church history. Look at church history. Did you know that prior to 250 years ago, there was no America? Like, our fathers didn't, care, didn't even know to think about American politics. They didn't even think about it. Because there were none. Shocking or comforting? I don't know. It's one of those. that Same questions. What is Jesus saying to me? What am I observing? What's working? What makes sense? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I've, my experience, and trust me, I've gotten many emails about this. And I've yet to see one that started with Scripture. I'm just doing a factual statement. Okay, let's do another question. How should I think about racism in America? <laughs> That's really quiet. Here's a few keywords you could start with, like nations, Gentile, tribe. There's a lot more others that you can do. What about people you know and trust are bearing fruit? Other trusted folks. What about church history? What is Jesus saying to me about it? I'll say it again with the racism issue. I haven't seen a single email that started with Scripture. I've gotten so lit up on this one. Let's be very straight with you. And it's not, here's the thing I don't ever want to do. Is Guile right? Is the pastoral staff right? No. We're partially right. At best, all of the time. Our job is here not to be the most persuasive talking head. It's to be equipping you. You need to come and make your own decision. Through the Scriptures. Through doing some looking at what's happened in the past. Through people you trust who are bearing fruit right now. Through, through experience, through listening, praying and fasting and asking Jesus. And then reasoning. It's, part of the reasons I think I haven't seen these scriptures is just, part of it's just we're not very used to doing that. And maybe it's because you might not think it really applies. I'm just, I'm not saying that as a condemnation. I'm saying I, these are the actual conversations I've had. And did you know Jesus deals with this stuff like crazy? It's a big deal. To him. But what really doesn't matter much is about is what I say about it is what Jesus says about it, and you have access to that. 
I would love it. I say I love it. I sort of love it. If you'll disagree with me or whoever else, but you've done your work. Does that make sense? Why should I have to do that? Well, we're talking. Guys, we're talking about the truth. This is how we're living and making decisions and time is going by. The ideas we have and the actions we take have consequences. And they could be the presence of Jesus on the earth or yet another sign that we have no idea what we're doing. Everyone else does that. But what's it like to follow Jesus? What's it like? Can we be that presence of Jesus? So, let's go. Let's do this good work together. Let's do this good work together. Man, that seemed like a lot of work. It's not as much work as you think, actually. It's really not. If you just remember rest, you know, okay, start scriptures, start to think about some scriptures. Because here's the deal. Um, we will never get to the final answer on most of this stuff. The, the, the stuff we need to be a final answer on, God has given it. Is Jesus the Son of God? Super clear. Yes. Jesus died for our sins? Super clear. Yes. Does Jesus know how much you should have in your 401k? Not very clear. But you can't attack the Scriptures. You can wrestle with the one where, the, the parable where Jesus is going, the guy who saved up all his stuff, and you said, you fool, your life has required you today. And the other one where it's like, you know, use the resources I give you wisely. Count the cost ahead of time. Which one is it? Wrestle. This is the joy of following Jesus and ask some of the people around you. See, see what I'm saying? We're becoming students of this Jesus, learning to live a life that's like his. So we do the good work together and also know just because I've done some research doesn't mean I know everything. That I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to, I, I, I'm so impressed with God. I remember Floyd McClung. He's, in his, he's pushing 70, and he's always like looking for the new, new data on stuff. Like, that's surprising to me. I would have just thought, you know enough, I'm done. And the last one, this is, this is a challenge. Let's ask for help. I am terrible at this. I don't know why. It's not just as a leader or whatever. I just always figure I should come up with it on my own, and if I don't, I'm failing. I have other friends who are so good at asking for help, and they typically know more than I do. Because they're not afraid of asking. Did you know Steve Jobs, when he was 12 years old, called the CEO of Hewlett Packard about how to do software? He just thought, why not? I want to learn. Call. It's a true story. Isn't that crazy? Let's be willing to ask for help. And I'll say this. This is stuff I love to do, staff loves to do. This is one of the reasons we're here is to help equip. So if you want to know more stuff, holler at us. This is super fun stuff. All right, let's stand together. I've got a prayer I want us to pray. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I've done all these in a row. I don't usually like to do that. I like to have more voices. And in fact, next week's going to be Adam Cox. It's going to be super good. The week after that, it's going to be Graham Caddo who wrote LTS. He's going to be talking to us about worldview. 
This next one, we're going to have the lovely Roger Nix leading us in Palm Sunday. So, but I felt like I just needed to get this out um, and to, to, for the Holy Spirit to equip us for this next thing. So this is, I've been praying this over you guys for a long time. And so I just kind of personalize this as a prayer we can read out loud together from Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16. Let's read this, let's pray this together. God, please equip us for works of service so that we may be built up. Train us into unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Make us mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And everybody said, Amen. Awesome. If any of you would like to respond, John talked about this respond to repenting of our own righteousness, trying to make ourselves okay with God. You'd rather just say, I'll just do whatever Jesus does to make it work. That's the only way that you can do it. Come on up. We want to talk with you. Dane and Anna will be right here to talk with you. Guys, have a wonderful week. Enjoy the spring weather today. We love you.